paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch Heart of the Matter uh, live through streaming video from anywhere in the world. Uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon is available for PDF download. It is free of charge. Go online, click on the at www.bornagainmormon.com and just follow the instructions and you'll get it. But we are uh, going to be producing a hard copy again, our third edition, uh, third run in the next uh, six weeks. So if you want that hard uh, copy, wait for that. How about joining a weekly verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study Join us at campus every Sunday uh, at either the Alpine Church, this is new, Alpine Church in Riverdale, or at the the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Uh, The Alpine study won't begin until Sunday, May 30th. That'll go from 3 to 4, but if you want more information, go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and... um, Directions. Now, uh, every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, on KUTR AM 820, The Truth, you can listen to Heart of the Matter replays for your entertainment pleasure. Uh, Sunday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. right there on your AM dial 820, The Truth. Throughout my life as a Latter-day Saint, especially when I was younger, I was taught to never play with what they called were face cards meaning cards that people use to play things like poker and have faces on them like the jack, the queen, and the king. And I was told that they were evil. And as a kid, I was always intrigued by this this thing called face cards. I used to ask, what, what do those strangely drawn faces on cards have to do with anything? Why are face cards bad? And they used to say, well, they're not of God. They're of the devil. You know, don't, don't read them. They, they, they cause bad things. Like there was voodoo in them. And so I kind of understand that gambling and things can lead to that. But recently I was gifted with a unique product sold right here in Utah. Now, for those of you who have never been to the state or don't live here, most grocery stores have LDS sections where you can find games and books and cards specifically catering to members of the Mormon church. I mean, you can walk into a national chain grocery store and you'll find an area smack dab in the middle that is teeming with a whole bunch of Mormon products. Uh, Bright and sparkly stuff for kids, scrubbed and modest stuff for teens, Stepford 
wife type stuff for the women and professionally polished products for the men. Well, it was brought to my attention that the LDS are producing their own form of face cards these days and they're called profit cards. Now, in your mind, how do you view a real biblical prophet? I mean, do you see them as businessmen and, and guys who like to golf and, and people who have a lot of degrees and things? Or do you kind of see biblical prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and all these guys a little bit differently? Well, the LDS have had 16 prophets and they have their pictures on them and this is what the card looks like. And what they do on these cards is every prophet gets four cards and uh, there's facts on the cards. So what you do is you hold these cards and, and then someone says, do you have Thomas Monson? And, and you say, no, I don't. And then you say, well, go find a prophet. And you reach in and try to find a match. And, and you can ask questions about the prophet to give you a lead whether the person has actually has the prophet or not. So let me read to you um, some of the things that are, are facts about these modern day prophets that are listed on these face cards of the LDS. Uh, Thomas Monson, at 12 years old, he saved a young girl from the Provo River. Uh, from Gordon B. Hinckley has a number of accomplishments. Number 15, the conference center pulpit was made from the wood of his black walnut tree, and uh, he received 10 honorary doctorate degrees, most probably from BYU. Just kidding. And he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President George W. Bush. So, you know, that's pretty good for a prophet of God. And then uh, Howard W. Hunter, he was unharmed when an intruder threatened him during a speech. That happened at BYU. I remember that. And, 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 and Ezra Taft Benson, prophet of God, he appeared on the cover of Time magazine twice. Well, that is just so good, Ezra. Thank you for that, that humble uh, uh, representation of God. And then Spencer W. Kimball, this is really important. He served as class president all four years in high school. Wow. I, I, I bet Isaiah did too, you know? I bet he did too. And then, um, and then Harold B. Lee, he was made a principal when he was just 18 years of age. And, and um, Joseph Fielding Smith, he loved flying fighter jets. That is, that is so good. And David O. McKay, he played on the University of Utah football team. And... Um, and uh, George Albert Smith was a scouting enthusiast. And Heber J. Grant, well, he was the most successful. It says he was one of the most successful businessmen of his day. And he also happened to have presented a copy of the Book of Mormon to Helen Keller. That's quite a feat, you know. I, she, he, he did it. And, and then we had Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, Joseph F. Smith. He was called as a counselor in the First Presidency at a young age of 28. And then we have another, uh, we have Lorenzo Snow who gave a copy of the Book of Mormon to Queen Victoria. But this was my favorite. Right at the top, Wilford Woodruff, it says, he raised his wife from the dead. Now, you know, finally we get all the way back into 1800 and I won't go into Brigham Young and I won't go into Joseph Smith, but those are some of the, the facts about the prophets, Latter-day Prophets. Now, this is important. These cards are for young kids and they're for adolescents. And they are used to teach from a very young age to look at these men and believe that this type of stuff is what makes somebody worthy or really called of God. Now, it's not direct, and it's just some fun facts about people. We all have them. But still, you know, there's an implication there. 
that when you save somebody from the Provo River, you have valor. And when you get 10 honorary doctorate degrees, God will use your intelligence to lead his church. Things like that rather than the humble, broken things that God has used in the past. Well, the training starts early and runs deep. Now on the outside, Cass, on the outside of this uh, card box, it says um, Latter-day Prophets are number one. And this is Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Well, Cassidy and I were talking, this is my daughter and assistant Cassidy, and we were talking about these cards and she read that outside today and she said, I know that song. Now it's been 10 years since she's been a little girl in primary and has not heard this song since, but she sat there and she sang it to me. So we're going to sing this song with you right now. Cassie's gonna show you how after 10 years, never hearing it, how inculcated this thing is in her mind. You ready? Yo, yo, yo. Latter-day prophets are number one. Joseph Smith, then Brigham Young. John Taylor came third, we know. Then Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo Smith. Joseph F. Smith, remember the F. Heber J. Grant and George Albert Smith. David oh. L. McKay was followed by Joseph Fielding Smith. Then Harold B. Lee, Spencer W. Shows the way we hear and follow their words today. 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 Yes, good job. And with that, we'll have a prayer. Lord, we love you and we need you in our lives to help us know truth, to help us know who are true prophets and who are men who pose as prophets and men who pose as apostles and pro proclaim a gospel that is not true. So we pray that you will help us to discern the truth. Let, don't let the people who are watching the program believe me but then to seek and to find and to open their eyes and hearts. We pray for this, Lord. We pray for those who have volunteered their time, for our audiences here live and wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our topic tonight is faith. And it's not a simple one, especially since it relates to the Mormon Christian uh, comparative. Uh, the reason for this is because faith comes in many forms and purities, which makes defining it and understanding it more difficult than most topics. I would suggest that perhaps one of the best ways to understand the general overarching topic of faith is to look at it like we would look at types of water. God has provided the world with the essential, the very essential element of water. We could not live without H2O and the formula that it is. And we can liken faith to H2O because it is found in so many different ways, different purities, if you will. Walk into any supermarket today and you will find rows of bottled water all claiming to be superior in one different way or another. Additionally, we have natural spring water, we have ocean water, we have geyser water, distilled water, tap water, pond water, uh, and at the top of the heap we have what Jesus called living water. So it is with faith. Like water, faith is a general term which presents itself in a number of different forms or purities. General faith 
is available to all human beings and is used by all human beings to some extent or another. Like the essential element of water, general faith is foundational to the substance and growth of human life. It is by faith that children take their second and third steps when they try to shoot a basket for the first time, when people attend college believing the acts will benefit their lives someday and hopefully help them be successful. It's by faith that athletes train and architects draw and people get married and that people save money, all in faith. Intellectual and economic progress would be impossible without faith. Who would want to get into a plane and visit a country they've never been to before if it weren't for the general faith that such a place existed? Who would, who would want to go to sleep not believing that they're going to wake up the next day? I've never seen my brain matter in my hands or any other way, but by faith I trust it will allow me to think and solve problems and examine information now and in the future. So life on earth is sustained by faith, even for atheists who ignorantly and arrogantly mock its very name. However, like water, some faith is good and some faith is bad. And like water, some faith is capable of sustaining life and some faith is very limited in its ability to do any good for us at all. For this reason and in this context of our discussion tonight between Mormonism and Christianity, I'm going to take the general category of faith and break it into two specific groups. Bad or dead faith and good or living faith. Now, just for tonight, allow me the luxury of taking any and all faith that does not save a person's soul and place it in the bin of bad or dead faith. I am doing this so we can better get a grip and understanding of good or living faith. Obviously, having faith that tells us we can reach our goals in business is not bad in and of itself, any more than tap water is bad in and of itself, but this type of faith is not lasting, and therefore, tonight, I am placing it in the bad faith category. Thomas Brown said, quote, to believe only possibilities is not faith, but merely philosophy. It is on this basis that I am placing any and all faith that exists outside faith in God in the bad faith file. One of the problems we face when it comes to understanding good or living faith is that it is as different from general faith as pond water is different from the living water Jesus offered the woman at the well. Human life is filled with purveyors and promoters of this faith, which never lasts and is therefore by comparison bad faith. For evidences, just step in on any Monday morning sales meeting or sales rally at any business or go to some positive mental attitude seminar or listen to any motivational speaker or guru. They are all promoting water, but it is water that once you drink it, you will thirst again. Hence again, and just for tonight, I'm going to put all faith that cannot be defined as living or lasting into the bad faith file. Okay, so what is the best definition of good faith, of faith that bears eternal fruit and consequences? Are you ready? Let's put up a graphic. Here is one of the best definitions that we have. Taking God at his word. One of the best definitions of living and good faith. Taking God 
at his word. When God says in the beginning, God, and you decide in your mind and in your heart to assent to this, to believe this, and you embrace it and incorporate it into your existence, you are taking God at his word and are in possession of good faith, lasting faith, living faith. Good and living faith is an ascent of the mind and the heart, and often, I have discovered, it is nothing more than a personal choice to believe and take God at his word. Evans said, quote, faith is not a sense nor sight, nor reason, but taking God at his word. Remember this definition as we continue to talk. I am blessed to meet with so many people throughout our ministry, and many of them really do not understand the properties of good faith. Many of them get confused and think that faith is this magical state of mind wherein the individual does not really have to think or make a choice but that God steps in and sort of places a spell over your minds and hearts, and then they automatically and easily accept and believe everything. And while this does describe one aspect of good faith, which we'll talk about in a minute, saving faith, um, this is often not the case when we talk about other aspects of good faith. What is more the reality when it comes to possessing good faith is that even in the face of doubts, difficulty, and sometimes against all logic, people of faith choose to take God at his word. And this pleases him. In fact, it is impossible to please God in any other way. Let's look at Hebrews eleven six. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek diligently seek him. Now, under the general category of good faith, we might create some subcategories. The first subcategory under good faith that I'm going to call it saving faith. This is the horse before the cart, saving faith. Here is the first place where Mormons and Christians differ as Christian take, Christians take God's word and Latter-day Saints do not. Okay? Saving faith. What does the Bible say about saving faith? Well, first it says it comes by taking God at, at his word about his son. John 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, all things, all things, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in the, verse 14, a few verses down, it says, and the word, which is God and which made all things, dwelt among us and became flesh. And the word, word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking specifically about Jesus, who has existed from all time, has created all things, and is God. The uh, LDS reject that out of hand. This is Yeshua. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, not through any other way. 1 John 4, 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus himself said of himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no child comes to the Father but by me. Okay, that's in John 14, 6. So do you take 
God at his word. If you add to those things, you're not. You're taking men at their word, all right? The LDS do not, and they say that Jesus came to earth and made salvation possible. He is not the only way. There are additional paths and requirements required to come to the Father. Secondly, God says definitively that faith and faith alone on his son is enough to be eternally saved from our sin and from death and from hell. Speaking to a gathering of Jews, Paul said in Acts 13, 38, listen. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. Did you hear that line? You believe on him, all that believe on him are justified of all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. In Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. This saving faith in Christ is the sole means of salvation. It's not received meritoriously, meaning that we don't receive this faith by our works, but instrumentally, meaning God holds it out and says, this is what my son uh, has offered you. Will you grasp hold of it? Those who actually do have simply decided to take God at his word and they say, I believe you when you say all I need to do is grasp on and believe on the son. Such saving faith cannot be forced. It's not a struggle to maintain. It's not earned by squinting and praying really, really hard. It is more so a giving up. It is a relinquishment of the will. It is waving the white flag and saying, I surrender, God. I surrender now. Okay? I believe. I choose, decide, willfully assent to the promises you make, and I believe them. Now, the LDS state plainly that saving faith is not given or offered by God freely, but it is earned. Mormon President Joseph Fielding Smith was quoted as saying in Teachings of the Presidents of the Church, page 53, quote, It is said that faith is a gift of God, and so it is. But faith does not come without works. Faith does not come without obedience to God's commandments. Where Christians believe saving faith is offered to all unmeritoriously and without any qualifications other than a humble willingness to receive it, Mormons tell us faith is earned through obedience to the commandments of God. In the LDS Bible Dictionary under the topic of faith, it says, quote, Strong faith is developed by obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning Mormonism. In other words, it says, faith comes by righteousness. Where Jesus says, come as you are, come unto me all that are heavy laden and I will give you rest from your sins and your trials and with your own ugliness. Mormonism teaches that you must clean yourself up to be worthy of faith, to earn faith and to possess saving faith. What is really interesting about this is that if you open up the Bible and you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, it is known as the faith hall of fame. 
And in this book, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews lists, he's able to choose from all the biblical characters and he lists about 12. And he, he points them out as heroes of faith and people to look to as examples of faith, which pleases God and is the only way to please God. Now, these are some of the people he mentions. He mentions Noah. Now, didn't the Bible hails Noah as an icon of faith, but didn't Noah get drunk? Now, if, a, if an LDS prophet or apostle admitted that he got drunk on one of his playing cards, it would be just, re, just refused. But we have someone who the Bible points out he had human failures, and yet he's listed in the hall mark of faith. Sarah, Abraham's wife, is listed. Didn't she go all evil on Hagar and kick her out and her son Ishmael into the desert to die because she was so witchy with him? She did, but she's listed in Hebrews as a woman of faith, which pleases God. Who else is listed in Hebrews as a beacon of faith? Oh, that's right. Comparatively and humanistically speaking, Jacob was a sneaky little punk, and Esau, his brother, was really quite the man. But Jacob was a man who had faith, while Esau had none at all. Moses, he failed, he's listed, he failed in his duties as a husband. He killed a man in anger. But what a man of faith. What a man who took God at his word. And then there's old Rahab. Uh, I mean, the writer of Hebrews refers to her in Hebrews as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, hallmark of faithful people. And she is mentioned there as a female icon of faith. Hebrews mentions Gideon and Barak, where in another part of scripture, it says that they were out of weakness. They were made strong. They were not strong men except strong in faith. The writer adds Samson, who possessed great weaknesses toward women, but is listed as a man of faith. David is listed, an adulterer and a murderer in the Hebrews, written much later, a hallmark of faith. Who took God at his word? You see, the LDS have it all wrong when it comes to faith and its origins. Faith is not produced by righteousness and obedience, but ultimately righteousness and obedience follow those who have faith. Do you get it? It's like asking the question, are you happy because you're good or are you good because you're happy? Um, the LDS operate off the premise, we're happy because we're good. Christians offer, operate off the premise, we're good because we're happy in Christ. You get the difference? The LDS say, I have faith because I have been obedient and righteous. The Christians say, I am obedient and righteous because I have faith. That is saving faith. It opens the door uh, of heaven to all who embrace it, and it comes without a price except for people to humbly acquiesce their will to God. Where are we at in time? Okay, uh, this saving faith opens the door to new life. Okay, so we've talked about saving faith. And this new life, it begins, we begin to have faith operate in us as new creatures of Christ. And I call this living faith, okay? So where saving faith is immediate, living faith then is processional. It grows within us as we go, and it is one of the most amazing factors of the Christian life. Let's discuss some of these factors quickly. First, People who have been 
saved by saving faith, then begin to live by living faith, and they have first new vision. C.S. Lewis said this, quote, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Okay? That's a major difference between the LDS and a Christian believer. By a Christian believer who has had saving faith sees everything in the scope of who Yeshua is and what he did for them. The LDS do not incorporate him into their daily thoughts and into their worship. They incorporate themselves in their own earnest desire to be righteous. You see the difference? This is Lewis, C.S. Lewis's quote explains Jesus freaks. Why those guys walk around and they're just, Jesus, everything, Jesus, everything. It's because through him, they see all of life. There's a writer named Keller, and he summarized uh, this light and this life, this living faith so beautifully in these prose. Listen to this. He wrote, dark as my path may seem to others, I carry a magic light in my heart. Faith, the spiritual strong searchlight illuminates the way. And all those sinister doubts lurk in the shadow. I walk unafraid toward the enchanted wood where the foliage is always green, where the joy abides, where nightingales nest and sing and where life and death are one in the presence of the Lord. In addition to a new fresh and living insight called living faith, if we allow it to thrive, you cannot allow um, stress and fear and the anxieties to overcome you. Yes, we'll still have them, but living faith takes them away gently. To me, faith means not worrying. How can you worry if your faith is placed in the hands of a trusting God? Here again, Mormon faith fails. To them, all assurances are placed squarely on their own shoulders. And so they carry this burden about wondering about their future with Christ when Christians know they've trusted in his word and placed the burden on Christ and then walk free of care and they lose worry and anxiety. Mahatma Gandhi said, you cannot have faith and tension at the same time. In the realm of good faith, the fears, worries, and tensions are all placed not in our own hands, not in a positive mental attitude, not in works and righteousness, but in the hands of the living God. This is the major difference between the good faith of the Christian and the bad faith of the LDS. Finally, let me just say this. It is not faith and works, nor is it faith or works, but it is faith that works. This is the final avenue where living faith begins to operate in the Christian believer. They begin to work because they have faith and the work they are commanded to be involved in is the work of love. Commanded to love. By this love shall all men know that you are his disciple when you have love one for another. In my opinion, folks, from where I've learned and what I've seen as a member of the LDS Church, by they are not taking God's word, by the fact that they don't uh, listen to him and believe his eternality. They deny the deity of his son. They say his Bible, his word is fallible. Uh, and they say it is not by faith alone by which we are saved. And they fall solely into the uh, uh, bin of bad faith. With that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS callers, please. And turn down your television sets when you're finished speaking with the operators while the operators are clearing your calls. We're going to do uh, a quick uh, promo for our going national, and, uh, and then we'll come back and talk to you about your questions and comments.
You know, when we started in the ministry uh, over four years ago, there was only a few things that we purchased, and one of them was this uh, Howdy Partner sign. And I just want to come to you, invite you to partner with us here in Aletheia Ministries with the good news of Jesus Christ, taking it out into the world, especially the people who are LDS. Why become a partner with Aletheia Ministries? I want to give you three reasons. First, we're a viable ministry. We're growing. We're expanding the emails, the uh, communications uh, show it. Two, we're going national. On June 8th, we are going to be joining with the NRB and hitting another possibly uh, 60 million households uh, every week. And with that comes some uh, added responsibility in the financial department. And then finally, we see a lot of fruit. The Lord has blessed us greatly with people who come out of Mormonism as a result of a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise him for that. If the Lord so inclines you and if you uh, believe that you are in a position to help us, we'd really appreciate it. There are three ways to do it. You can first go and write us through the mail, 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. That's the snail mail address. If you want to go quicker, you can uh, email us. Uh, go to hotm.tv, and uh, that will tell you everything on what you need to do online. And then if you want to even get to us in a more timely manner, call us at 888 868-4686. Uh, we are really grateful for people who come along and they partner with us in prayer. They are our friends. They support us in whatever way they can. But if you feel so inclined to kind of join with us, partner with us with this monthly commitment, we hope you'll do it. Thanks for watching. And we're back. We're going to go to an anonymous caller who's LDS and a first-time caller from Kaysville. Let's hear what they have to say. Anonymous caller, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. Hello. Um, my question is, um, I was just wondering why you can't just keep strictly out of the Bible and have them just leave the Mormons alone, not tell them down. That's my question. Well, the Mormons don't leave the Christian world alone. The Mormons tell the, everybody when they knock on their doors and get invited in that the Christian world fell into apostasy and that the, okay. and that the devil took over and ruined all the teachings of Christ. And so they draw first blood every single day that those 35,000 missionaries are out there in the world knocking on doors. I see. So I'm just, doing, I'm just doing the same thing they do. Okay, yeah, I understand. So another thing I'm, I'm curious is, do you think Mormons are evil? No, Mormons evil? Uh, I don't think there's uh, uh, any more evil uh, Mormons than there are Christians. I mean, okay. we're, we're all evil. Um, but I think that Mormons are pretty good at pretending they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. another question. Another question. Do you think Mormons, believing what they believe, do you think Mormons will go to hell? Believing what they believe, if we are talking about the doctrines that are pure LDS doctrines, I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. don't... Yeah, I'm talking about pure LDS doctrines. Do you think they're going to hell? Yeah. I, I don't make a comment on who's going to hell. I never do. Be okay. Yeah, because... yeah. Yeah, that's not my job. That's, that's somebody good. else's. I'm glad to hear that. Does that make you think, happy? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. No, because I, I, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100. You know, so thank you, Sean. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. No problem. Okay, bye bye. We're going to go to Mary from Huntington Beach. I have a feeling I know who this Mary is. Maria, hey. you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Uh, quick comment. 
you're going to die of embarrassment. But the minute I hear Cassie start singing that song, I start singing along with her. And Delaney, who claims she remembers nothing from her childhood, comes in and starts singing it with us. Wow. So I just, yeah. And also, comment number two, we have that profit game right here in our house. Oh, my we've had goodness. It, we've had it for the past 15 years. And I remember thinking I was such a good mom because I was teaching my kids all about the profits. Wow. So, I know. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I had no idea that we had that game, but you know what? Really? What Mary's bringing out here is that Delaney, she's 16 now. That This was 10 years ago that she was uh, in the church. So she was six when she left, and she's singing the song. That's how they yeah. get them relying and looking to men. Thanks so much, Mary. I love you guys. Thanks. Okay, okay. bye. We're going, to, uh, Gary, we're going to Brent and Provo, who's a first-time caller. Uh, and LDS, Brent, you're f on the air. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. I'm speaking to Sean, I guess. You are. Um, I just have a comment on your comment about how in everyday living and at church, Mormons are trying to shoulder the burden themselves. Shoulder it, yeah. And, instead of Jesus shouldering it. Yeah. Does that sound perplexing to you? No, it's simply not true. Really? Well, let's talk about that, okay, Brent? We'll talk openly and honestly right now? Sure. Okay, let me ask you. Do you have to, uh, let's just start with days of the week. Do you have to, in order to be fully embraced and accepted, wear certain clothes to your Sunday meetings? Nope. Okay, Where that's a lie. That's a total lie. To be accepted really? and embraced? Can a you bishop can't. sit up there in Levi's? To be a what? Can, can a bishop go sit on the stand in Levi's? If that's the best dress he has, depending on the geographical location and the culture, he certainly can. Okay, what if it's the dress he prefers? I'm sorry? What if it's the dress he prefers? There's nothing that says he can't do that. Okay, and you don't think there'd be any social repercussions within the ward if the bishop showed up in a polo shirt and Levi's to, to officiate at the meeting? I don't think so. Okay, you know you're lying. And this is the... Look, at we talk one thing, dude. One thing, and you are so bent on presenting the church in a light that is false, you can't even answer that question honestly. Let's go to something else. Do you have to do your home teaching every month? Do I have to do what? Your home teaching every month. Does somebody call you and ask you if you did your home teaching? Absolutely. And do they say that your home teaching is linked to your faithfulness in the church? Well, people actually call me to tell me they did their home teaching. Okay. And so... Is that, a bur that, is, is, that any, is that a burden for them to, in order to feel righteous before God, to go out and visit those families each and every month in order that God is approved of their worthiness as a member? You have to look after your flock. Okay. Do you have to go to the temple and re renew your covenants, and do you have to have the new and everlasting covenant? And in order to go to the temple, do you have to meet about 12 set of criteria? including paying 10% of your income, hopefully on the gross. I don't comment on the temple. I'm sorry. Okay, what you... Look at Brent. Let me tell you something. You are deluded, dude. You have blinders on your eyes, and I'm saying this in love, 
because you are afraid to even talk about just the basic facts of the burden that the people carry in order to try to prove to God that they are really worthy in his eyes, where in Christianity they are not worthy, but by their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Faith in Jesus Christ is a basic tenement of tenet. people that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ yeah, I know. of Latter-day Saints. I understand that's the basic tenet. It's a footnote to the religion. No, it's a basic tenet. Okay, and l let me just ask you. I don't want to go down this road now. Let's just stay on the comment that you said they're not burdened. Okay? Are you trying to tell me they're not burdened with perfection? People that choose to be perfectionistic are burdened. Okay. Those that put their faith in Jesus Christ have their burdens light. Okay. And That's what the secret? What does that mean? It? What does that mean, Brent, to put your faith in Jesus Christ? It means to do what he asks you to do. Okay. And what does he ask you to do? He asks you to come unto him. Okay. To be perfected in him. To be perfected in him? In him. Okay, and what does that perfection mean in context of, of what you're saying? How are we perfect? It means that we can do what we can do, but it is by His grace that we are saved. After all that you can do. Right? That's a verse from Second Nephi. Right, and isn't that true? In the Book of Mormon. Thank you for reminding me where it came from. Is it true? However, let me point this out. Okay. It is by grace. Notice that grace is listed first before the things that you can do. Okay, Brent, tell as me a something. Seminary teacher, okay, as a seminary teacher. No, I was a seminary teacher. To me. Brent, you don't have to be demeaning to me. I was a seminary teacher. Let me just ask you, my friend. What does it take for you, Brent, to live with God, Heavenly Father, again, as you would put it? To keep his commandments and okay. to have faith in him. What are his commandments, Brent? Love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the laws and the prophets. Is, is, that, is that what's required right there? Are you being honest with yeah. us, Brent? Absolutely. Is there anything else required to live with Heavenly Father in the, in the uh, celestial kingdom, highest degree, again? Absolutely there is. Well, what are those, Brent? I mean, you just told me that it was just... Faith in Jesus Christ, love your, love your neighbor as yourself, and love uh, God. Is there anything else required as a Latter-day Saint that's necessary to live with Heavenly Father again? You have to do what He asks. And what are those things? If you don't know what they are... We're telling the audience, Brent. You're, you have a chance to tell the audience right now what those things are. Those things are be baptized. Okay, by who? By an authorized servant. Who are Savior what? Jesus what faith do they belong to, Brent? What faith do I belong to? No, what faith do those authorized servants belong to that a person has to receive this baptism from? They belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're Mormon. Okay, what else has to happen? Brent? What else has to happen? Yeah, come on. They have to continue on that path. They have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
by the laying on of hands, by someone holding the proper priesthood authority from the LDS church, right? Yes. Okay. Do they have to go to the temple, Brent? They have to attend it. That's right. They have to attend the temple. And what do they have to do in there, Brent, in order to go live with God again? You have to do everything you can. Of course, little children, they don't. We're not talking about little children, Brent. We're, we're not talking about little children. We're talking about what is an adult Latter-day Saint who's been baptized, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do they have, does a male have to receive the priesthood, by the way, too? The Aaronic and then the Melchizedek uh, priesthood to get to live with God again? I'm not 100% sure. I am. They do according to your doctrine. Do you have to go to the temple, Brent? Yes, you do, you've said. What do you do in the temple? What do you have to have happen in the temple to live in the highest kingdom with Heavenly Father again, Brent? You have to be married. Okay, you have to be sealed to another person. In a proper place. By who? By someone that has the authority to do so. Okay, and how do you get in that temple, Brent? You have to be. You have to follow the requirements to get Which, there to be worthy. Okay, to be worthy. And so you have to be worthy to get in that temple to do these things, or you cannot live with Heavenly Father again. And to get in that temple, you have to say that you you obey the word of wisdom. You have to say that you uh, uh, pay your tithing to the LDS Church. You have to say you obey the Sabbath day. You have to say that you treat your family and friends and do all these things, and you're honest in all your dealings with your fellow man, which is a lie right then and there. And you have to lie to get into that thing. And so you get in there and you do all kinds of vicarious works for other people and for yourself when you go in. And you have to be married in order to get to live with God again. And you have to receive the new and everlasting covenant in order to live with God again. And you have to do, 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 do. And you're telling me the first part of your call that the, the LDS are not under a burden at all. The Christian has to no, look at Christ and say, I believe. Like it's the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross who never went to the temple who never received baptism, or the laying on of hands, or did home teaching, or paid his tithing. Do you get the difference? I understand. Okay. Then we are in agreement if you understand. Now, Brent, let me calm myself down. If you want to believe those things, I am totally in support of you. I do not want to cram my faith down your, your, your gullet, but I will not sit and agree that you are just like Christians. You are as far from Christians as East is from the West. No, it's not true. No. Okay. Well, thanks for the call, my friend. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we're going to Gary and Bountiful, first-time caller. Gary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yeah. Is this Sean? Yeah, how you doing? Good, good. How you doing, Matt? Doing well. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a question and a comment. Yeah. Um, first uh, comment being... Um, I've uh, I've been uh, pretty much raised here. I wasn't born here. Here I'm uh, Middle Eastern, but I've been here for 33 some odd years, and uh, all of them have been in Utah. And uh, unfortunately, I haven't had the best experience either. Um, I've always tried to bond with the LDS people, and you know, get involved with them. And um, in fact, I even tried to go to their church when I was younger. All my friends were LDS, and uh, what I don't understand is. Why do they shun people um, like us? Um, you know, uh, like they, they just, they don't really care about really, you know, is it because we're not LDS? Um, I'm a born-again Christian, and, you know, I have been for the last uh, eight years. Before then, I had a good heart, but, you know, that's pretty much it. 
is it's, uh, and also like my neighbors, you know, this is what I don't get. Uh, my neighbors, um, and I hope they're watching, they, uh, you know, they, they shunned us, they've called us all these slurs and this and that, but then they're going to their church and, you know, they're, I guess, sanctifying themselves and, you know, doing their once a week thing. Um, I'm wondering why is it that they don't, you know, they don't practice what they preach. If they believe that, you know, works gets them into their celestial kingdoms or whatever, why don't they try working on, you know, love thy neighbor and, you know, things like that. And, yeah. and really loving, you know, your neighbor and following the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, I've seen falseness this whole time. Yeah. I haven't seen them really, you know, it's like a show. Yeah. Well, that's part of the problem when you have a system or a formula that people have to follow in a lockstep process in order to be approved within their local congregations and then by the Lord. You start, you, you start to develop this kind of facade, this phoniness, this uh, uh, inauthentic or unauthentic approach to life and living. And, and I think there are a lot of very good Mormons. They make very good neighbors in many cases, but they also make some very terrible ones. But, but you know, it's, it, it, you really can't view the problem necessarily with your specific neighbors. That's why you really got to look at the doctrine. What is it behind their beliefs that causes them to behave this way? And bottom line, you're a born-again Christian. You're not one of them. There's kind of a separatist view, and you're kind of out of luck here. We, I just heard a story from someone who called in earlier and said that when they were a boy, they, the boy couldn't get on the baseball team. And the boy actually heard his mother uh, talk to the coach, and the coach said if he was baptized, he'd have a better chance. I mean, it's a culture. And uh, yeah. it's, it's horrible. Gary, thanks yeah. for the call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, Tony from Manti asks, why don't you ever tell good things the church teaches? I challenge you to do a show just with the good things about the LDS church. Why would I do that, Tony? They, they spend millions of dollars every year showing how good they are. I mean, they, they do nothing but print cards about themselves and show their works and show their little Mormon ads and their commercials about how great families they are. And I mean, they do everything they can to show how good they are. And so why would I talk about that? Do they ever talk about their warts and their failures? No, because it's a facade. So that's why we do what we do. Um, Gilly in Arizona, Prescott says, you trust the Bible, come on. Uh, the Book of Mormon is more reliable and pure. Repent, Sean. I was having a discussion with my friend Russ East today, and he made a really good point. He said, you know, the Book of Mormon says it's like the Bible, a second witness and all this. The Bible, we had our, the original writings, and then those original writings were copied in the language they were written in. Hebrew, 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 Hebrew. And then we had the Septuagint come in, and the Greek scholars around the time of the Aristotle and the Grecian things, they took the Hebrew language, and they translated those, the Old Testament into Greek. And then we had copies, Greek, 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 Greek. And then we get to Jerome, and he translates it into the Latin Vulgate. So we have Latin, 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 Latin. And we have these Hebrew manuscripts. We have Greek manuscripts, all the same thing. We have Latin manuscripts. We have Spanish. We have English, on and on and on. Why did Joseph Smith take the, the golden plates and give us his English translation and not copy the characters on the plates and take the characters and pass them down for each generation to say, hey, this reformed Egyptian, we have some new stuff on this. This little scribble means this. All we have is his story of gold plates and a manuscript he says came from inspiration and that's it. And you say the Book of Mormon is far more reliable? Okay, let's go to Frank in North Salt Lake. Frank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? 
good. I appreciate your message. Thanks, man. You know, I'm looking for some advice. Uh, I've left the uh, Mormon Church about eight months ago, uh-huh. and one thing I'm having a hard time with is finding a church to attend. Yeah. Uh, with my family, I find myself church shopping, and it, and it just feels uh, rather strange. Yeah. Well, uh, this is not just uh, to promote our deal, but Frank, at, at uh, University of Utah, Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30, we have a very never-denominational Bible study. And it might be a good halfway house for you to come and kind of just get hear what is going on with the Bible and what's going on there. And then we suggest everybody there has their own church and goes out. And then you might meet some people there that you kind of like. And you say, well, I want to go to your, uh, let me try out your church or whatever. Another thing you face, which is very difficult, Frank, is when you come out of Mormonism, you walk into some Christian churches and, you know, they're disorganized, they're underfunded, sometimes they're strange, they're waving snakes around, you don't know what's going to happen, and that's a turnoff to your family. So you want to find a place that kind of is a good segue. And so I would suggest to you, come to the Bible study, you and or your wife or whatever, check it out, see if you start to feel acclimated to that, and continue your search, and do not... Go to a place, really, I don't think that you need to join, that you need to sign up with their declarations of faith. You have come out of a totalistic religion that you don't need more of that. Trust in the Lord, Frank. Take your worries and problems to him. Ask him to lead and guide you. And come on over and join us at the Bible study and see if that helps. Okay. Hey, thanks. I'll do that. Thanks All so right. much, my friend. Congratulations. All right. Thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Susan and Draper, first-time caller. Susan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you this evening, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, my question for you um, is just when you are speaking with Mormons, Yeah. Um, what is your reply when they ask you about God's Word, when they say it's confusing and it's very, um, I don't know, contradictory? Wow. I get, a, I get a lot of that. If they say contradictory, I say, show me the contradictions. Well, so, I say God's word is perfect, and it's just our interpretation of it. And so. Well, Susan, um, God's word is perfect in that it is perfect in leading anybody who's seeking to his truth that he wants them to know. But in terms of perfection of uh, the, the, the big scholarly phrases, epistemus verba, if you're trying to find word perfectness in the Bible, it could be difficult because we have some differences about what certain words have meant. But it's very few. Uh, I believe that the, the original manuscripts are absolutely inerrant, without an error. But the, the translations do have some things, 99.9, 99.8% sure. But it's still inerrant, infallible in its ability to lead you to Christ. If you tell a Latter-day Saint the Bible is perfect, you, they will be able to find a handful at most in that entire book, a handful of these books uh, going with each other where you could say, well, that one doesn't match up. There is a date error here or something like that. There's explanations for it. Uh, but So I would change your uh, approach and say the Bible is infallible in leading people to all they need to know to uh, live with God. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Okay, thanks, Susan, for the call. Okay, thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Debbie in Provo. She's a first-time caller, and she's LDS. Debbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, son. This is Debbie. Hey, I just wanted to ask a question and then give a uh, short comment. Yeah. Um, I, 
I just wanted to know, I know that a lot of uh, different faiths um, say that LDS people worship a false Jesus or a false God. Yeah. And I'm wondering why it is. And before you answer, I'd like to make my comment. <laughs> okay, okay. So I don't get too nervous. But I just wanted to know how uh, worshiping a false God would bring one to feel love and peace. And this is my comment, and then I'll, I'll hang up so you can answer. Okay. But... Um, I went through a stage of my life where I experienced such pain and heartache going through infertility, and I, you know, had been trying to live what the LDS teachings were as best I could, uh-huh. but um, it just wasn't helping me feel peace and love and, and all of that. In fact, I got to a point where I actually hated pregnant people. It got really bad, and then I hated myself, and then I got really depressed and just wanted to die. It was so hard on me. I wanted to have kids so bad, uh-huh. and I finally got to a point where it was so painful that um, I just got on my knees, and I just pleaded with God, you know, why? Why can't I have children when people in prison and everything else, and I'm trying so hard to do what what you've asked me to do, and yeah. And at one point, I even said, I've done everything. But as I went to say the word, everything, my tongue was stopped. I was filled with this piercing, uh, not an audible voice, but a a voice that said, you haven't even read my words. Hmm. And I was flabbergasted. But at the same time, I still had this strong stubbornness in me. But I finally, when I closed that prayer, picked up my Book of Mormon, started to read from it. And I was overwhelmed with this feeling of peace and love. I wasn't expecting it. In fact, I was expecting to not believe in God by oh. how I felt treated. Okay. And yet I felt this peace and love so strong and powerful that I, I could never deny it. And it's been 22 years since then. I've become this, I, at that point, never looked back. It was like something had changed in me. I completely loved people. I, my anger was replaced with this feeling of love and peace that I had Debbie, never felt before. Debbie, I went to Debbie, read the, Debbie, um, Debbie, the Testament and Debbie, everything else after that. Debbie, Debbie, sorry, what? I have to cut you off because we only have 37 seconds left, and I've tried to oh, give you okay. enough time to articulate what you had to say. It leaves okay, our show. Okay, so the question is, how does the false yeah. God bring peace and love? I'm going to explain that next week. Listen for the answer when we open up. Thank you for your call, and we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon bringing you peace. The question is, how does a false god bring you peace and love? It's a great question. How does the Book of Mormon bring you peace and good feelings? How can a religion that isn't necessarily true bring you good things? We'll talk about that when we open up the show next week, and we'll see you right here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage